It was 1968, 1969, the Beatles were beginning to fall apart. Uh, differences were arising between them. The, the writing was on the, on the wall. The band would likely not continue together. They would be going their different ways. And Paul McCartney was very troubled by this. A lot of internal anxiety and angst about this. And during that time, he has a dream where his deceased mother, apparently uh, Paul lost his mother when he was only 14 years old, And in this dream, his mother comes to him and speaks to him about his anxieties, and she's telling them, essentially, it'll be all right. There will be an answer to all these things. Just let it be. Now, the song that came from that dream, although poked at a little bit by John Lennon as being a little churchy, still, it became to be one of the top songs of that era. A song that, that um, gave these lyrics right out of Paul's dream. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, Speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be. Many hearing that reference to Mother Mary comes to me assume perhaps a reference to the Catholic faith or perhaps Mary's reply to the angel's unsettling announcement as what's behind the song. But actually... Paul's mother was named Mary. And while the words remind us of the other Mary, and even the words that she speaks, let it be. There's something that the Beatles missed. There's something about her words that are different than their song. And that's what I want to look at today. As we look at Luke chapter 1, this story of the angel coming with this wonderful announcement to Mary, I want us, as we consider again, perhaps what might be over the years of generations of Christmas that you've shared, it might be a familiar story. But I want us today to put ourselves in Mary's sandals. I actually was thinking maybe I would wear sandals this morning, just to get your attention. But I didn't have, it it needs to be Mary's sandals. And I didn't have girls' sandals in a size 12. So we didn't do that this morning. But I want us to consider that God did make an unexpected choice. An unexpected choice that seems impossible unless God makes this happen by his unlimited power in the life of one who is simply willing to believe. I want us to be able to put ourselves in Mary's sandals, both in the seemingly absurdity of this declaration of what God will do, 
And I think we can learn something from Mary's response. Let it be. Before I say more, let's, let's well, no, first let me say this. We, we approach the story. It happens in the little town of Nazareth. Now, if you went to Nazareth today, you would think, well, that's a pretty significant place. In fact, it is the largest, probably the largest Christian city in Israel. Now, that's Arab Christian, but it's a, quite a large city today. You stand on the hill outside of the city, there's just a part of it, and it's a very crowded place. In fact, the place you might want to visit were you to go there, you'd probably want to go to the Church of the Annunciation, the, the large church that, it, that, that proposes to mark the very place where the angel appeared to Mary, and Gabriel gives this announcement, the Annunciation of our Savior's birth. Now, it's hard to get to the Church of the Annunciation because of the long and winding road, if I could borrow from the Beatles again, winding through the town in very crowded streets, not planned for the amount of traffic that's on them today. It takes a long time to get there. But you would arrive at the Church of the Annunciation, which probably does sit over the very spot where Gabriel appeared to Mary, Because the church campus covers the entirety of what would have been the New Testament village of Nazareth. You see, this was not a large place. This was not a big city in its day. This was not a place, yes, something big is going to happen from here. Rather, we can understand the skeptic's words. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And I wonder sometimes if you've perhaps heard somebody whispers those words to you about you. Can anything good come out of me? Perhaps in the midst of some recent spectacular failure, and I've had some of those, you would hear that in your own head. Can I do anything? Can anything good come from me? And easily we decide that we're just going to withdraw. Take a seat in the back. Let the others take care of what needs to be done. Because clearly I'm not up to it. But I want us to consider this story this morning as God's very unexpected choice, a very unlikely person. Doesn't seem to be able to deliver on what is going to need to be done, and yet it'll be done not by her, but by God's power through one who simply chooses to believe what God has said. Look with me at Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 26. Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. In the sixth month, Now, this sixth month is the sixth month after last Sunday. So we've had six weeks. I know it only seemed like one, but with Christmas jazz, maybe it seemed like six. But six weeks have passed since the announcement was made to Zechariah that he and Elizabeth would have a son. And in those six months, Elizabeth has become very pregnant. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name 
was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And she was greatly troubled at this saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God's blessing is upon you. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Well, that's a lot. That's a lot spoken to this young woman, a virgin, as we're told several times in the story, there in this little place, this insignificant place of Nazareth. She's a virgin maiden. She's not yet married. She is betrothed, which means she is promised and committed to a man, Joseph, also a descendant of David, and yet they have not been together yet. She's from Nazareth, a young teen girl of the rural outback. She's from nowhere insignificant, nowhere that would matter, and yet this promise comes to her. Can you imagine her, her thinking to herself, who am I? Who am I that, that any of this would... What do you mean I'm highly favored? How is it that God has blessed her really in her poverty and obscurity? Nobody knows of Mary outside of her own family and the other families of her small and insignificant village. Who is Mary that an angel of God would take notice of her? Who is Mary that the Lord would come with such a grand announcement? And to this virgin maiden would say, the Lord is with you. Now, she hears this, highly favored, greatly blessed, the Lord with you, a virgin of the family of David. And maybe she's wondering in her own head, what kind of greeting is this? What is he suggesting? What, what, what could this mean? Is it bigger than just, hey, God's going to bless you in some way. Things are going to turn the corner here. Things are going to get better. Things are going to be okay. Is it more than that? Is there some hint of that promise to Isaiah 700 years earlier. The virgin will be with child and will bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel, God with us. What is this greeting? She's wondering. So the, so the angel tells her, don't be afraid, don't be anxious about this. You have found favor with God. God has chosen to particularly bless you. You're going to conceive you're going to bear a, you're going to conceive in your womb and as she hears that because of the question she asks next she doesn't understand this as a general promise for some time within her life in the future she's not going to grow up barren like her relative Elizabeth experience no no she's going to conceive her and Joseph are going to get married they're going to consummate the marriage it's going to be wonderful she's going to conceive and have a child and no she doesn't understand it that way she understands from the words of the angel that this conception is happening now this conception is happening in the near immediate. And that's what she doesn't understand how that could, how that could happen. 
that she's going to conceive, that she's going to have a, have a child whose name is going to be Jesus. Jehovah is our salvation, or Yahweh is our salvation. In the Old Testament, his name is going to be Joshua. He's the one that's going to lead his people into the new life that God has promised to them, a life of blessing with them, which they have longed for in 40 years in the wilderness. He is the new and complete Joshua. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High God. That is Daniel, Messianic, the coming eternal king language. The one who will take all the other kingdoms of this world and will make them the kingdom of our God and of his Christ and he will reign forever on the throne of his father David. That's what the angel says. That's a lot. And that's a lot that is so far out of any of Mary's experience. It is so far above and beyond anything that Mary has been praying for. Mary had, Zechariah was in the temple praying not only for Israel, but praying for a son. Or maybe he had been praying for a son and he's given up on praying for a son and the angel comes and says, your prayers have been answered. But I don't think Mary's been praying for all of this. I don't think Mary has asked or even imagined that God would do all of this through her. I mean, who is she? She's a young, probably 14-year-old girl in the backwaters of Galilee in a little village of Nazareth, greatly overshadowed by the other towns around it. She's nobody to anybody really, well, except Joseph. She caught his eye. But Mary's not anticipating any of this for herself. And this is so far beyond not only her expectations, but what could conceivably be possible in any of her experience. And yet reality is not determined by what we expect. Reality is what God says it is. You know, I say we need to put ourselves in Mary's shoes a little bit here. Put ourselves in Mary's sandals. Because what happened here with Mary has also happened with us. If you are a believer in Jesus, if you have been born again through faith in Jesus as your Savior, His death in your place for you to be restored into right relationship with God, if that is your confidence before God today and forever, you, you have a lot more in common with Mary than you realize. Because God spoke through his messenger some, some fantastic things to Mary. And God, through his messenger, has spoken some fantastic things concerning you. Turn over in your mind to Ephesians chapter 1. Well, while we're going there, think of 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we, we, you, should be called the sons of God. And such we are. And John says, but it hasn't yet appeared what we shall be. We don't see it yet. We're like Israel still in the wilderness. We don't see the reality of it yet. But God has said this is what it is and it's true. It is who you are. In Jesus, you are God's own children. In Ephesians, in chapter 1, 
God, through his messenger, in this case, Paul the Apostle, says that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Nothing left out. All that God could do, God has done for us in Jesus. God has chosen us in Christ. God has predestined us according to His purposes for us. That God has redeemed us. He's forgiven us through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All that we've done has been fully paid for in Christ. He has lavished His grace upon us. So poured it out over us that it, that it, that it rolls over us and then from there flows to people around us. God has promised us an eternal inheritance, an eternal future of blessedness with him that he guarantees by the present presence of his Holy Spirit within us by whom we are sealed unto the day of redemption. All of that is true for you as a believer in Jesus. Do you ever wonder if God would really choose to love you as you know you? That God would actually lift you up? That God would exalt you? That God would use you in some fantastic way in His purposes, which we might not even see the fullness of in this, in this present experience, and it might seem like pain rather than pleasure. And yet, God is at work. You see, with Mary, one of the words that she'll be soon told is that a sword would pierce her own heart too. Her great privilege of being the one who would bear the Christ would come with cost. It would come with pain. It would come with its own sorrow and suffering. And such those privileges that God chooses to bestow upon us in our following Christ, in our being made like Him, they will come with some of the same costs that we will take up our cross and follow him. And yet it is true, blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ, that God has chosen an unexpected choice, someone whom you thought, you yourself, who were insignificant and yet are central in God's own plans and purposes. This matters in a day of isolation, in a day when people are cut off from one another, in places where not only are we cut off in isolation because of care that sometimes needs to be taken and vulnerabilities to viruses, but, but our arguments and our disagreements and our politics that get in the way. And I don't know if you experienced over Thanksgiving, did politics come up? Or was there somebody not at the table, not at the gathering because of the differences that are already there in the family? That was true in my family gathering there were people that weren't there because a wedge had been driven there's isolation and people are alone and there's depression in that aloneness sadness and sorrow and in all of that the good news is gooder than ever the good news that God loves you 
that God has chosen you, that God will take you and make you and shape you in the likeness of his son and will God will lift you and apply you into his grand and glorious purposes. Even as he would choose to do that with Mary. It's an unexpected choice. Would God really favor you? Ephesians 1 says that he has. Look what kind of love God has lavished upon us. But your question may be something like Mary's. It seems incredible, really, that God would use me for much of anything. It seems so incredible. How could that be? Notice Mary's question in verse 34. Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? So the angel answered her, Well, let me explain it. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. The power of the Most High is going to overshadow you. This is not with you, girl. This is not about you and Joseph. God is going to do this. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy. He'll be unique. There'll be none like him, the Son of God himself. And yet, behold, look, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, she's also conceived a son. That should have been impossible for her. And this is, in fact, the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing is impossible with God. How will this be? Mary does not ask, how can this be? Mary's question is not a a question of unbelief, although it is a question about means. And maybe you realize, well, God is God, so God can do what he will. But how is it that God could use me? Because, you see, Mary knew better than anybody else that she couldn't be pregnant. Mary knew that better than her mother knew that. Mary's mother probably knew Mary. But Mary's mother hasn't been with Mary 24-7 Joseph knows that he hasn't been with Mary. But Mary knows better than Joseph can know that there's not a way physically that she could be pregnant because Mary knows better than anybody that she hasn't been with anybody. Mary knows this. How, can, how will this be then? It's not going to be the normal way that women become pregnant. How will this be? And that's significant for you and I as well because... It echoes around in our head. Because you know yourself better than anybody else knows you. You know all the reasons inside of you why God would not use you for whatever it is that God would do. Maybe other people don't know. Maybe they might have some doubts, but you know very well all the reasons inside you They echo around inside your head. The enemy reminds you of them. Why God wouldn't at all be interested in using you. Why it's not possible that you could be used in this way or that way. You don't have any of that in you. What you have in you is not helpful at all. But it's not about what Mary has in her. It's not about what Mary can pull off here. How will this be? The Holy Spirit 
will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is not about what you're going to do. This is about what God is going to do in you and through you. That's what makes the difference here. And he says, look what else God is doing around you. Look what else ought to also be impossible from everybody's expectation. Everybody knows Elizabeth is barren. Everybody knows that there's no way Elizabeth, after all these years, is going to get pregnant. What should have been possible before, but apparently wasn't possible for her, now no longer is possible. And yet look. Look what God is doing in the life of somebody you know because nothing is impossible with God. Did you hear that? I want you to repeat that with me. Nothing is impossible with God. Look around what shouldn't be, what shouldn't be possible. Elizabeth is too old. Elizabeth has always been barren. Everybody knows that, except nothing is impossible with God. And Elizabeth's tummy shows it. Yeah, she's six months along and you don't hide it. It's interesting that Mary will quickly, it's another story we'll save for another morning, but Mary will quickly run to Elizabeth and go and be with her relative. And it's a very normal thing for a, for a young woman in the extended family to go and help somebody at that stage of her pregnancy. But Mary goes to see this for herself, not because she doesn't believe. She goes to Elizabeth because she does believe the word that the angel has said. And yet, haven't you been there? Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe what you say, so Lord, help me in my unbelief. Haven't you been there? I know God says that, but is it really true for me? I know God says that, but is it really going to be my own experience in life with him? I still remember. It aches me to this day of a man who came up to me after a service very early in my time here at Brush Prairie and he says, I hear about this, the Christian life and I hear about victory that we're supposed to have because of Christ and by God's Spirit but I've concluded that God just doesn't intend for me to experience that kind of victory and he had given up and he went his way. God does intend to do in you and through you beyond what we would ask or even imagine and it is not because it's what you can do it's a matter of nothing is impossible with God and so we look not at ourselves we look not at our abilities we look not at our history but we look at God if Mary looked at herself and her own abilities and her own capacity and her own history she would conclude this won't happen. If she had looked at Elizabeth's history and track record, she would have concluded this cannot happen. But no, she goes to Elizabeth. The angel tells her, you go and see. Look what God is doing in the life of other around, others around you. You know, we need to be engaged in the lives of one another. Partly because of what God is doing in the lives of others. And you need to see it. Because you know that rascal. You say, man, God would, God would still pour out his grace and, and God would bear fruit through, through, through him or through her when I, when I know them. And yeah, that's what God will do. 
And when you see that, there can be a, there can be a, a little reinforcement of the hope that well, then God would use me too. What God has said about them is true. And so what God has said also about me is also true. And he helps us in our unbelief by his working in the lives of others around us. Don't be hesitant to tell your story about what God has done in the midst of your life. Don't be shy about sharing with a brother or sister that you were praying. It was a little thing, but God answered it because they're praying for something too. And yet the voices echo inside their own head and heart. I wonder if God even hears me. And hearing that he heard you strengthens them to keep trusting. Look at Elizabeth. But you say, it all sounds wonderful. But this is Mary. This is not me. This is Mary. Mary is a unique case. Mary is a unique one-off. What happened with Mary doesn't happen with anybody else. And yes, that's true. But the kind of thing that happens with Mary is the kind of thing that happens with all of God's people. That's why I want us to put ourselves in Mary's Sandals that, that God will also work through us, not by our ability or capacity, but by his unlimited power. Well, God spoke through his messenger to Mary. He told her specifically the wonderful things that he was going to do in and through her. Has God said anything like that to you? Well, yes, he has. Again, through his messenger, he's spoken to us. He has written it down. He has reminded us that we are, in fact, ambassadors for Christ. That God himself makes his appeal through us. God is not necessarily going to come to people around you in a dream like Paul's mother Mary. No, God intends to speak to people around you whom you know potentially through you. We are the ones through whom God makes his appeal. That's what God has said. We are God's fellow workers. We are workers together with God. Imagine, we're going to be in a building project. There's going to be a building going up, and there's trained and skilled carpenters. And imagine if they let me just roll up my sleeves and jump right in and hammer some nails and put some things in place. And Oh, it's not quite straight, Bob. But God brings us into his eternal work and he makes us workers together with him. We are partners in his purposes. In fact, we are heirs of God. We are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Do you matter to God for eternity? You are a joint heir. You are a sharer in his son. When all that he will do with his son through eternity, you and I have a share in that. You and I are with that. You and I are in that. We will reign with him. Oh yeah, we will endure with him. We will suffer with him and we will reign with him. God has declared what he intends to do with you in his future. That he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ. Nothing is impossible with God. How would God choose to use you? I don't know. I was surprised how God chose to use me. If you went back to my high school, 
To, if you talk to any or all of the 264, I think, people in my graduating class, I don't think there would be a one of them, including me, that would have ever thought that Bob would one day be a pastor. Now, I'm not saying that's a big deal. I'm really not. I mean, I mean when God wanted to speak to people, God in the past has done it through a donkey. Okay? So the vessel itself, the one he chooses to speak through, that's not necessarily the big deal. I just give that as my own example. I still remember walking down a sidewalk with a guy named Larry, and we're talking about something in relation to God's Word, and, and something that seemed to matter or be significant to Larry, and he asked me, have you ever thought about being a pastor? And I just laughed. It's the most ridiculous, absurd thing I ever heard about. And yet here I am. I'm kind of stuck in it now. What else would I do? But I share that example to say, look what God would do. With the least, and as I think to myself, I look at my background, my family history, my upbringing, and, and I'm probably the least likely candidate among you. And yet here we are. I'm sorry about that. But God's not. Look what God will do. That's the point. Uh, let me give you another example. Julie's not here this morning. She's over with the uh, preschool, the, 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 the preschool and kindergarten. They're having a, having a training this hour for, for those who are helping working there. And uh, so let me talk about Julie and pre-K. We arrived here at Brush Prayer. Of course, Julie wasn't in charge of pre-K. She wasn't the pre-K director. And... Um, there was another lady named Lois who did a wonderful job there and had for years and carried on. And, but then after a couple of years, the time came that, that um, she, she needed to let that go. She needed to lay that down. She um, couldn't continue to do it. And so another lady who had been her helper thought, well, I could keep doing it then. And she, she then took the lead for a couple of years, I think. And, but it wasn't the right thing that she should be doing either, apparently. And so now we didn't have anybody else on the bench and we were left with, we don't have a director, we don't have a leader for that critical ministry for young families. And at one point, I asked Julie, I said, well, temporarily, in the gap, could you take that on? And she did it because she's very sweet. And Julie is a better wife than I am a husband, probably. And she knew the, the bind that I was in, the need that there was, and she, she took that role, though being the leader director of something was not in her ambition at all. Julie is a, is a behind-the-scenes helper servant. And, uh, but she took that role on, and I think she's done it probably for the past dozen years or so. And in that, God not only gave her what was needed for her to serve in that role, but gave her then a connection and an inroad into the lives of innumerable young families with young kids here in our church body, such that some of those who were the troublesome toddlers in her preschool are now the helpers with troublesome toddlers in her preschool. And I say that not to draw attention to Julie, but to some, but concerning somebody who themselves probably thought, I'm not the one for this, but look what God will do. So that you and I could consider as well, what would God be pleased to do? You see, you have friends. You have neighbors that I will likely never meet. You have extended family that I will never have a conversation with. 
with. But, but, but God will use you in their midst. God has given you a story to share. God has given you a testimony to tell. And it's simply a matter of this is why I hope in him. In the midst of all the other disappointments and discouragements and hurts of life. You may wonder, does my small contribution make any difference at all, really? Does the little bit that I could do or the little bit that I could give, does that make any difference at all? We'll pause for a moment. Think with me. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the stories of Jesus we have in the New Testament, think about people who gave financially. What's the top story that comes to mind when it comes to somebody who gave financially? They probably gave greatly. They probably gave a gift whose impact and ramifications continue on down through history or certainly impacted multiple generations because of the stewardship of what had been placed in their hands that they used for some grand purpose. No, it probably wasn't that one, was it? Maybe it was one day there was this widow. And while everybody else was making a splash and be noticed in what they were giving, and the trumpets were sounding, and the press releases were going out, there was this one woman who had a little copper coin, the smallest coin that there was, and she gave that. And nobody noticed at all except Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? You know how he rightly interpreted her gift? He said, she has given more than they all. Yeah, but it's a little copper coin. What difference could it ever make? That's the one story you still remember. That's the story that through the generations and across the centuries has encouraged others to give what they have or to give of themselves, trusting it to God, knowing that he will rightly value its worth. God has done so much more from one copper coin than anything else that was given that day. What would God do through you? What would God do with whatever it is that he puts into your hands, that he puts onto your heart? Because it's not about what we and I, you or I, can accomplish. It's not about what we would ask or even imagine. It's that nothing is impossible with God. For the one who believes God's word. You see, God has chosen the unexpected that he will use by his own unlimited power in the life of one who believes his word. Look at verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Mary presents herself Not unlike Isaiah who says, although the promise of of a a wondrously successful ministry is not there, he says, go and tell, but they're not going to hear you. Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And that's kind of what Mary, Mary is saying here. I, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. The word she uses is a word for bondservant. It's a word for one who willingly puts themselves in servitude to another because this is the one whom I can trust myself to. This is the one who more than anybody else will look after me, who will look after me better than I can look after me, so I will trust myself to him. That's what Mary is saying here about the Lord. 
anticipating a young girl betrothed and not yet married is about to become pregnant and soon visibly so. There's a shame and a scandal afoot here. And yet she says, Behold, the servant of the Lord. I'm a little scared because I don't know what other people are going to think. Behold, the servant of the Lord. I will put myself into God's care. I will trust myself into his hands. Behold, the servant of the Lord. And here's what she saw that the Beatles missed. Let it be to me according to your word. To just let it be means very little. But we don't just let it be. We don't just trust or figure or shrug and say what will be, will be. It is what it is. No. Let it be for me according to God's will. That I am willing to believe that God will do in me, through me, for me, what God has said that he will do. What thing is there that God has put in your mind according to his word for you that he would do through you except you don't think you can do it? Well, that's okay. You probably can't. But it's not about what you will do. It's about what God would do through us. Maybe it's your words of hope. Maybe it's the impact your story can actually have in the lives of others around you that you would never dream of. You have no idea that the impact that a word that you, you share with a family or, with family or a friend, that, that you don't even see the result of it that day, and yet years later they might come back to you and say, you know, when you said that, you remember when you said this? So I don't remember that at all. And yet God used it. Maybe maybe there's a need you see. Something that needs to be done. And you wonder, who's going to do that? Maybe you see it because that's what God has given for you to do by His grace. Maybe someone else has seen something in you and they've said, you know, like my friend Larry said to me, have you ever thought about serving in a particular way? And you say, no. You're flattered that they would say something, but... No, God wouldn't do that. Not with me. God would do that with somebody, but God wouldn't do that with me. Have you sold yourself short? Are you selling God short in the process? Because it's not about you. It's not about me. Nothing is impossible with God. Until now, you've held back. But what do you say today? Will you put yourself in Mary's sandals? Will you say, let it be to me according to what God has said rather than according to what I think? We're going we're gonna to sing a song and we're going to then approach the Lord's table. And this morning as we approach the Lord's table, we often remember the Lord's death for us until he comes. And we're going to do that. But I also want us to remember something else about this table this morning. And that is that Jesus says this is the cup of the new covenant. The new covenant by which he said, I will put my spirit upon them. I will take out their own hard heart and I will give them a tender heart. 
and I will put my spirit within them so that they are able to walk in my ways. God has given you his life and God has empowered you by the spirit of the living God. The same spirit, by the way, who came upon Mary and did something miraculous in her is the spirit of God who dwells within the believer in Jesus and who will do things miraculous in you and through you. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, that though we are unfaithful, that we are unable, that you are our faithful God, that you are the one who is able to do that which we cannot. Father, we then would pray that, Lord, we'd learn from Mary. We'd learn something today from a 14-year-old young woman who was willing to trust herself to God and what you had chosen graciously to do through her. Father, we know that you've chosen as well to work graciously and wondrously in our own lives. So, Father, would you help us in our unbelief? Lord, to be willing to trust you and to put our, ourselves and to put our serving into your hands. That thing which we fear, Lord, help us to trust it to you. To let it be to me, God, according to your word, your promise, in Jesus my Savior.